21st of December, and many of you, many people in my world, struggling with illness of some kind at the moment, let's pray a prayer to St. Jude for the sick, in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. St. Jude, you witnessed the healing power of our Lord Jesus. You saw his compassion for the sick and dying. You yourself touched the sick, shared the sorrows of the mournful, and encouraged the despairing. You received this authority and healing power to work wonders to cure the incurable, to make people whole. We ask you to intercede with our brother Jesus to send his saving grace to heal the sickness and suffering of all who are ill, to uplift their despondent spirits, and to instill hope in their hearts. Glory to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. It is a better way to start a Thursday morning, the Sunrise Morning Show, here on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. I'm Matt Swain. Anna Mitchell has news. Paul Lockman at the controls. And up this hour, we will talk to Dr. Jared Stout. And uh, before you know it, Christmas will be in the books, which means in the Christmas season, we'll be starting the new year. And Dr. Jared Stout wants to invite you to be part of Exodus 90. If you don't know what that is... You will probably feel like doing some sort of something to get back on track in the new year, especially if you're a man and Dr. Stout's got some thoughts. Dr. Jeffrey Morrow is continuing our series based on a Catholic guide to the Old Testament, which he helped write. Uh, Today we're in the book of Ecclesiastes. Father Robert Nixon will talk about the uh, virtue of fortitude, as explained by St. Albert the Great. And loneliness, a big time of year. A lot of people getting together with a lot of people, but there are a lot of people who don't really have a good group of people to get together with um, who feel forgotten or lost or not really well understood this time of year. And Kevin Prendergast has some thoughts on that. Right now it's two minutes past. Here's Anna Mitchell with news. Good morning. The Senate has closed up shop for the year without a deal to fund Ukraine. The Senate adjourned yesterday and will reconvene on January 8th. In the meantime, Senate and White House negotiators plan to hold virtual meetings on an emergency foreign aid package over the Christmas and New Year's break. Pope Francis, at his general audience yesterday, reiterated his calls for peace in the Holy Land and in Ukraine. After reflecting on the nativity scene during his catechesis, he connected it with the work of peace, asking the faithful to go to the crib and ask Jesus for peace. He is the Prince of Peace. He said, in these days, we will see God lying in a manger. This is the strongest message of peace for the life of each one of us and for the world today. The Holy Father also offered prayers for all affected by a deadly earthquake this week in China. From Vatican Radio, Joseph Tollick reports. I turn my thoughts to the victims and those injured in the devastating earthquake that struck the Chinese provinces of Gansu and Qinghai on Monday. I am close with affection and prayer to the suffering people. I encourage the emergency services and invoke the blessing of the Almighty upon all so that he might bring comfort and relief in their sorrow. 
At least 131 people died in the magnitude 6.2 earthquake, which struck just before midnight on Monday, and nearly 1,000 were injured. Survivors had to contend with temperatures of minus 13 degrees Celsius, or around 9 degrees Fahrenheit. The Chinese government has announced that its rescue operations are coming to an end, and that it is now focusing on treating the injured and helping those who have lost their homes. I'm Joseph Tullock. The FTC is proposing new rules to put more limits on tech companies' collection of children's data. In announcing the proposed rules yesterday, FTC Chair Lena Khan said kids must be able to play and learn online, quote, without being endlessly tracked by companies looking to hoard and monetize their personal data, end quote. The proposed rule changes would bar tech companies from keeping data indefinitely and would require education tech companies to get school approval to collect kids' data. The U.S. is agreeing to a prisoner swap deal with Venezuela. The Biden administration will release a close ally of Venezuelan President Nicolas Maduro in exchange for 10 Americans being detained in the country. The agreement includes the return of six Americans who were deemed wrongfully detained. Venezuela has also agreed to extradite Leonard Glenn Francis, a former defense contractor, who is at the center of one of the Navy's largest corruption cases and fled the U.S. An additional 20 Venezuelan political prisoners will also be released from custody. The immigration crisis is apparently exploding on the U.S. southern border. Mark Mayfield reports. Border agents report a record 14,000 migrants showed up to Eagle Pass, Texas on just one day this week. A new record and a growing problem for a city of just 30,000 residents. Republican Congressman Tony Gonzalez, who represents Eagle Pass, tweeted, President Biden has abandoned border communities like mine. Republican senators are tying any aid to Ukraine to the border crisis. I'm Mark Mayfield. And week 16 of the NFL season kicks off with Thursday night football and a pair of NFC playoff hopefuls. The Los Angeles Rams and New Orleans Saints battle at SoFi Stadium. Meanwhile, a pair of games will take place on Saturday when the Bengals clash with the Steelers in an AFC North showdown. And SoFi Stadium becomes the center of attention once again when the Chargers battle the Bills in the nightcap. Okay. So the so Bengals Saturday are football. playing Saturday again. Yeah, they played last Saturday. I know. What's up with that? I don't know. Steelers in a bit of a weird spot right now. Mm-hmm. Chargers just fired like everybody last week. So, uh, and the Bills destroyed the uh, Cowboys. So the Bills looked good, but the Chargers have absolutely nothing to lose. Yeah. That's that can be a very dangerous thing. Mm-hmm. I don't know. And then you got some big stuff on Sunday. Christmas Day. Mm-hmm. It'll be interesting. Although, uh, my focus this weekend will not be the On back-to-back football? NFL no. slates, but rather the back-to-back Sacramento powerhouse, like, liturgical epicness. I know, man. You know, I, when exciting. I first heard this announcement, I was like, oh, we gotta go to, we got to figure out the logistics of this. Uh, the way that Advent has, has fallen this year and the way that, like, Everything has gone insane. I'm like, yeah, I think I need two days in a row of church. I know, right? I think I just want to like block out all the insanity and just be at mass mm-hmm. and have that be like the absolute focus and center of my of yep. my Christmas this year. Yep. It's amazing how God works that out, you know? It's uh, it's been a wild one mm-hmm. for me and for a lot of people I know. So, if that's you, 
See you at church. I'll see you at church anyway, probably. Eight minutes passed. I'm Matt Swaim, joined now by Dr. Jared Stout, and uh, he is the author of How the Eucharist Can Save Civilization. He's also director of content for Exodus 90. You can find them online at exodus90.com. Dr. Stout, good morning. Morning. This is a great time to talk about this because the New Year's holiday always sneaks up on everybody, and everybody is like, ah, I got to figure something out. Uh, they figure it out on the 31st, right? What am I going to do starting tomorrow? Um, how does Exodus 90 really help people have something like they can like anchor themselves to so they don't have to invent their own self-improvement plan from scratch? Yeah, well, first of all, I, I should say that Exodus 90 is for men, but it is a powerful 90-day experience rooted in three things. Prayer. So we, we during the 90 days leading up to Easter, we dedicate ourselves to an hour of daily prayer. What we're known for is the second point, asceticism. So these are, you know, the disciplines of, of self-sacrifice, uh, especially the cold showers. That's what everybody focuses on, cold showers, but fasting and abstaining um, from alcohol and also giving up unnecessary uh, media use and technology usage. And then the third thing is fraternity, um, that there is a weekly meeting you know, with a group of men even a very short daily check-in with one guy called your anchor. And Exodus 90 is transformative, I think, because of the combination of those three things. A lot of people think that Exodus 90 is just men doing hard things. And if that were the case, I don't think it would be transformative. But it's doing these ascetical disciplines along with prayer, which, of course, is the heart of real transformation, but with support of brothers. And it really, really works. Um, well, Dr. Stout, every time I go onto YouTube to watch some link that somebody has sent me, I see some bro saying, hey, man, switch out your coffee for this stuff that I made out of, like, mushrooms and sod, and it's going to, like, <laughs> transform you into, like, a 2% body fat, like, mega bro. Uh, you know, I mean, this is this is something that people are trying to do all over the place outside of the context of the church, or I see all kinds of magazines on the rack every time I try and buy a gallon of milk at the grocery store saying, here are like five tips for mindfulness, right? Like all these things are stuff that, I mean, the people are trying to figure out how to la like latch onto. What does putting them in the context of the, the heart of the church do to all these sort of natural desires that we have to be healthier, to focus more? Mm -hmm. Well, I would say that the deepest thing that we need is God at the center of our lives. So all these other things, you know, might be pointing us in a helpful direction towards health and discipline and other things like that. But what we fundamentally need is God. Um, so I, I think that is uh, the most important thing. But there are so many things in, in the world right now that we need freedom from. So Exodus, right, gets its name from the Exodus out of Egypt, where God calls Israel out of slavery under Pharaoh and brings them into the promised land. Uh, of freedom, of, of life lived as his son. And that's what we're really aiming at. And if you're able to get that central thing right, you know, to grow in your relation with God, to allow him truly to be Lord of your life, to, to teach you what freedom really is, a lot of other things fall into place. And so guys have said during Exodus that, you know, that their marriage has improved, that they're, they're better dads, that they have more peace of mind, that they do lose weight, you know, because of, of fasting and not eating junk food and things like that. But at the end of the day, 
you know, I think Jesus says it best in, in the Sermon on the Mount, seek first the kingdom and everything else will be added onto you. And so that's the real freedom that comes from doing Exodus 90. Well, I have a decent metabolism still in my mid-40s. I'm about the same weight as I was about 10 years ago. I'm not worried about shedding the physical weight. I mean, I should probably still do better than I do. I'm more worried about shedding the weight of the things that have attached themselves to my time <laughs> and to my energy and to my attention. And one of those things is on the table next to me, and it buzzes like every 30 seconds to tell me something I need to look at. <laughs> How does Exodus 90 uh, help people kind of break free of those kind of attachments, those kind of things that are like, they're trying to, I feel like it's, it wants every single piece of me, and, and I want to break free of that slavery. Like, I wonder what kind of resources you have to help people break that kind of attachment. Well, I would say that the, the deepest thing is prayer once again, that you know, we're trying to put away unnecessary technology usage, giving up social media and the news and sports and, and TV, all these things, right? And, and But we're trying to fill it with things. And primarily that is time with God. But I think what a lot of men discover is that they also have more time for their family. Um, and that's what really helps. But in terms of accountability, this is why we have like a brief daily check-in with your anchor. You know, how are you doing today? Are you are you sliding back into the news there? You know, are you trying to play video games? You know, these things that were that were they're giving up. And it's not negative in the sense like somebody's looking over your shoulder, but it's just, you know, having some accountability through the men in your fraternity. Because together you're trying to do the same thing. Right? Every, we're we're all trying to get this freedom in. I think anybody, if they really think about it, like you were saying, Matt, you know, you, you realize that we need more freedom in this area, that there are just too many distractions, too many things, you know, kind of pulling us these different directions and intruding into our lives. Um, and this is a big reason why men do find greater freedom uh, doing an exodus. Yeah. And I think, too, that men just want freedom from a hundred different kinds of things. And the men struggle with uh, excesses of, I mean, a, a guy who doesn't want to pay attention to sports, that's fine. You can be like, okay, so I watched the game on Sunday and that's the end of it. Except every single other day of the week is saturated with people unpacking the game that just happened and pointing towards the game that's about to happen, right? It's amazing how easy it is to get sucked in. Or maybe you want to try and uh, limit your lust and anger and all these other things. And yet cable news is just saturated with stories that make you angry and often have some sort of salacious angle to that. Like, it's just so saturating. And I think that people want to break free. They want to break free and live outside of that world and inside of a place of freedom and peace and that is life-giving. So if our listeners want to connect with this, uh, let them know how they can uh, be a part of Exodus 90 this year, starting especially um, as, as the new year starts. Well, you can find us at exodus90.com. You know, even though we're trying to, to st step back from technology, you can find us on YouTube and you can kind of watch some videos about, you know, what it means to do an exodus and what it will be like. So we have a lot of resources. You can even find a fraternity uh, through our app. So you can get on there and, and find other men in your area um, who are looking to do an exodus. But, but the best place to find guys is within your own parish, you know, because um, I think even though doing exodus can be hard, there's just so many men who yearn for, for this kind of experience and for the freedom it offers. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Jared Stout. We've got him linked at sunrisemorningshow.com. Back with headlines right after this. It's a quarter past.
Do you feel as though life is flying past you? Are you desperate for a way to find moments of peace and quiet? Lord, teach me to pray. The free Ignatian prayer series will open your heart to his voice, to the peace you're seeking, and the only love that fulfills the human heart, Jesus. God is calling you to true joy, knowing Jesus personally. Lord, Teach Me to Pray is free. Just go to lordteachmetopray.com and click on the red box. That's lordteachmetopray.com. For 150 years, the Komboni missionaries have followed in the footsteps of their founders and Daniel Komboni. We are an active missionary group sharing our deep faith in God through service to the poorest and most abandoned people around the world, satisfying both the physical and spiritual needs of the people in our mission. Please support our mission work with a generous year-end gift today. Thank you for your prayers and kindness. Give today at kombonimissionaries.org. That is kombonimissionaries.org. Business owners are starting to think outside the box to find new customers. You can reach millions of engaged Catholic listeners by underwriting the Sunrise Morning Show. Each weekday morning, listeners across the U.S. and around the globe can hear your message for your business, ministry, or nonprofit on the Sunrise Morning Show. To find out how it works, email me, Leah, at sacredheartradio.com. That's Leah at sacredheartradio.com. Beyond Damascus with Dan Demite and Aaron Richards is our show for young adults. Everybody's talking about encounter. Everybody's talking about that mountaintop experience. What we fail to often talk about is what happens after, what happens beyond that Damascus moment. Jesus Christ is calling all of us to be missionary disciples, disciples of Jesus who are on mission to bring the kingdom of God here and now on this earth. Beyond Damascus with Dan Demite and Aaron Richards, Saturday at 8 Eastern on EWTN Radio. 18 minutes past the hour. Here's Anna with headlines. The Senate has closed up shop for the year and did not reach a deal on funding for Ukraine. Pope Francis at his general audience yesterday reflected on the first nativity scene created by St. Francis 800 years ago. And the Holy Father today gave his annual address to the Roman Curia. Happy birthday to my son, Zeke. Yeah, Turns 12th a day. I cannot believe... Your godson. ...that my godson is 12 years old. That's pretty wild. Pretty Beyond wild. We had wild. his uh, Christmas play last night. Oh, yeah? How'd it go? for his school. It went well. Nice. They uh, they kind of have a standard format that they follow. They they always have, like, this Happy Birthday Jesus song they sing at the end that is uh, led by the pre-Kers. And it uh, brings down the house. Of course. Uh, his his class, the sixth graders, did a round of Dona Nobis Pachem. Ooh, cool. Uh, yeah, it was good. It was good times. I know you had your Christmas pageant for your school, your son's, your kids' school. Your son had a big role. Oh, yeah. Tommy was St. Joseph in the kindergarten nativity play, and his it was just a classroom play. They all did their own thing, and so... Tommy got to be St. Joseph, and he nailed it steadfast and quiet. You know all his lines? He did. He did. I mean, if you're uh, if you're going to be in a Christmas play, I mean, the St. Joseph one, I mean, it's all face acting. It's, you're like Gromit and Wallace and Gromit. You don't have any lines, but you have to communicate some stuff without I wish, words. I wish I had known you were going to bring this up. I would pull up the audio. 
I'll see. Maybe I'll mute you get, my well, mic. You get the audio I... of all of St. Joseph's speaking. I know, right? Well, it, Tommy oh, there they had were. More... You just got. You guys just missed them. There, Tommy that was it had right there. more speaking parts than St. Joseph actually did in Scripture. Wait, so they did give him lines? Yeah. Let me um, let me see if I can. I'm going to mute my mic. You talk for a second, and I'll see if okay, I can I get to. Okay. I think that the... if they, I mean, if you're going to put St. Joseph lines in a play, really, all you got to do for a Christmas play is just have him say, "Okay." He said. We will go to Bethlehem, Is was his main line. Well, he probably did say that at some point. It's true. Sorry, I'm trying to... We still to, have a record I of don't it. Have it. I don't have it up yet. Hang on. It's all right. It's all right. All right, here we go. You know, I mean, he's a, he's a, man, he's a man of action. Is that the... That was the line. Good job, Tommy. We will go to Bethlehem. Nail it. It's 21 past. Business owners are starting to think outside the box to find new customers. You can reach millions of engaged Catholic listeners by underwriting the Sunrise Morning Show. Each weekday morning, listeners across the U.S. and around the globe can hear your message for your business, ministry, or nonprofit on the Sunrise Morning Show. To find out how it works, email me, Leah, at sacredheartradio.com. That's Leah at sacredheartradio.com. I'm Father Timothy Shear, and these are Biblical Impressions. Ahikar is a name not familiar to us, but he was a nephew of Tobit. Ahikar's biography was famous in Assyrian literature long before the book of Tobit was written. The title of this famous biography was The Story and the Wisdom of Ahikar. Because he had no children, Ahikar adopted his son Nadin and groomed him to serve in the royal court. But Nadin was not a gracious man. He later schemed to ruin his uncle. Ahikar was arrested and condemned to die. But the officer in charge spares his life because Ahikar once saved his life. The king later restores Ahikar to his post, and Nadin, the wicked nephew, is put into prison. Ahikar means, my brother is honorable. The name is a good fit for this character. Even though we might not share the name, we can certainly share his character. For Sacred Heart Radio, I'm Father Timothy Shear. It's time for our weekly Old Testament Bible study here on the Sunrise Morning Show. We have been using a Catholic guide to the Old Testament from Ascension Press. You can pick up a copy for yourself to study along with us from ascensionpress.com slash Old Testament. And we are back with one of the contributors to this guide, Dr. Jeffrey Morrow. Dr. Morrow, welcome back. Thanks. It's great to be here. It is great to have you. And our lesson today is on the book of Ecclesiastes, which most people are probably familiar with, you know, that bird song, turn, turn, turn. I'll spare you singing it, but it's probably in everybody's heads, even just my stating the title. Um, 
But if that's all they know, there's so much more to know. So tell us about the book of Ecclesiastes. Oh, that's great. Yeah, in fact, I'm glad you brought that up, because we often think of that line, there's a time for everything, um, as kind of paradigmatic of this, this text. But really, um, in my opinion, the book of Ecclesiastes is really about the vanity of life without God, mm. right? So it's, it's trying to—this is attributed to Solomon, Kohelet, right, the preacher, the son of David. Um, and that Even that term, Kohelet, really comes from this idea of calling for the assembly to come together— the kahal, which is what, which is where the word church comes from, ecclesia, um, and so what he's doing is he's trying to talk about natural reason, knowing about the world through reason alone, what our senses can kind of capture, but that's really not all that's there. The the the, the author of Ecclesiastes believes in God, but he's going to kind of explore wisdom apart from that, and so it kind of ends with this: fear God. This is this is wisdom. You know, you need to. It's God. It's not, you know, eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Well, if the author of Ecclesiastes is Solomon, and he's looking at the theme of wisdom apart from God, he has quite a bit of experience with that theme in his own life, does he not? Yeah, he does, right? Cause he, and he gets wisdom from God. I mean, one of the things that strikes me both about Proverbs and Ecclesiastes is this emphasis on the fear of the Lord, because that's not what really typifies Solomon's wisdom. He has this kind of special wisdom God gives him, but it does typify David's wisdom. And so in kind of the end of the day, when you get to the end of both of these books, um, you kind of see that Solomon recognizes, you know, David had a greater wisdom than I did, mm. because he had the fear of the Lord, that humility and trust in the Lord. And that's really the key to the whole thing. Wow, that's beautiful. So give us a, a little outline of the book of Ecclesiastes. What can we expect in this book? Well, it'd be, you know, I would divide it kind of focusing in the beginning sections, really chapters one after you get after the prologue, uh, to roughly six is all about vanity, right? Vanity and kind of everything, pleasure, wis- even wisdom, right? Work, seasons, time, people, riches, everything that you have is all vain. It's not just there's a time for everything, but it's all vain because that, that's all we have. And then it moves from chapter 6 on till, till maybe 10, 11, ignorance, the lack mm-hmm. of knowledge, right? Um, this is where you get into themes like about moderation, um, righteousness versus wickedness, the wisdom versus folly, rulers and those they rule. This is kind of an important section here. And then you get, after that, uh, there's about a chapter or so in 11 into 12 about old, becoming old, old age, and the young, and then it kind of ends with these, you know, quick, pithy, wise sayings. In my opinion, actually, Peter Kreeft probably does the best on this in this book, um, Three Philosophies of Life. And when he talks about Ecclesiastes, really is the book the rest of the Bible was written in answer to. Not, oh, it doesn't wow. mean that historically. Huh. It's not historically. Yeah. But it's a question of what is life, really? What is life? What, are we, what can we know about life? And the whole book of the Bible is the answer. It's, it's God and God's call for us. Yeah, and um, listeners will recall that you grew up in a Jewish household. Um, can you talk about how this book is used in Jewish tradition? Well, that's a that's a great question. Um, actually, I'm not even sure we didn't we didn't use this in uh, in my in my tradition. I mean, my family we didn't really use Ecclesiastes that I can remember, but I'm sure it's. Uh, um, yeah, I don't remember it coming up much at all, other than in, in song. 
Oh, interesting. Okay, so yeah. well, I'll just read from from the guide here. Um, Please, it's interesting that your family didn't use it. Now, reading what uh, what it says here in the guide, it says in the Jewish tradition, Ecclesiastes is known by the Hebrew title Kehilah, and yep. is part of the writings read during the great liturgical feasts. Ecclesiastes is traditionally read in the autumn at Sukkot. So, oh, Sukkot, yeah, Feast Sukkot. of Tabernacles. That Feast makes a of lot Tabernacles. of Tabernacles. Can you yep. talk about why that okay. makes sense to you? Oh, well, I didn't realize. It's funny, because it was all in Hebrew, so I didn't catch all of them. So, <laughs> oh, I yeah, believe it. <laughs> yeah, that's really interesting, because I think that, that would be have to do with the seasons, because there's so much going on with the change into autumn. That would make a lot of sense, because you have all of this discussion of feasting in that section of Ecclesiastes. So that actually makes perfect sense to me. And I've obviously, I definitely, even though we were pretty secular, I did celebrate Sukkot, or Sukkot, they'd say, uh, uh, in the Ashkenazic pronunciation. But, um, yeah, so that makes sense because it has to do with the liturgical feasts. Sure. Well, you are Catholic now, so let's talk about this in in the Catholic tradition. I thought it was interesting in the guide here. Talked about how um, Ecclesiastes, um, along with the Book of Proverbs, which we discussed last time, and the, the Song of Songs, which we'll discuss next time, how those three are can kind of be um, images of the stages of interior life. Oh, right, the purgative. Yeah, that's right. So, yeah, there is a way in which you can see this this purgation, right, illumination, and being united with God. This is kind of the classic three ages of the interior life, right? And so, purgative in the sense that you're recognizing, in a sense, the vanity of everything. Right, it would be illuminative in the sense of in that in, in which what what do we know about virtue and how in the ways of God, and then unit at the very end. I think that you have the unitive of it, it concludes with the, the centrality of fear of the Lord, so that you're trusting in the Lord to be united with Him. And so those, those are kind of the classic three ages of the interior life well, well, uh, that you can find in these. And we will talk about the unitive uh, the next time we get together when we talk about the Song of Songs. But in the meantime, encourage folks to pick up a copy of A Catholic Guide to the Old Testament. You can find it at ascensionpress.com slash Old Testament. We've been talking to Dr. Jeffrey Morrow. Dr. Morrow, thank you. Thank you. Half past the hour now on the Sunrise Morning Show. It's time for news. The Senate has closed up shop for the year without a deal to fund Ukraine. The Senate adjourned on Wednesday and will reconvene now on January 8th. In the meantime, Senate and White House negotiators plan to hold virtual meetings on an emergency foreign aid package over the Christmas and New Year's break. Secretary of State Antony Blinken is defending the U.S. position on the Israel-Hamas war. Mark Mayfield reports. During an end-of-the-year news conference, Blinken said that Israel has a right and obligation to defend itself against the militant group in Gaza. Israel and the U.S. have faced international criticism for resisting calls for a ceasefire as the civilian death toll rises. Blinken said while everyone would like to see the conflict end as soon as possible, it can't end with Hamas remaining intact with the capacity to attack Israel. He also questioned why the international community isn't demanding that Hamas lay down its arms and surrender. I'm Mark Mayfield. Pope Francis, at his general audience yesterday, reiterated his calls for peace in the Holy Land as well as in Ukraine. After reflecting on the nativity scene during his catechesis, he connected it with the work of peace, asking the faithful to go to the crib and ask Jesus for peace. He is the Prince of Peace, he said. The Holy Father also offered his prayers for those affected by a Chinese earthquake in which at least 130 people were killed 
The magnitude 6.2 quake struck northwest China Monday night, leaving nearly 1,000 injured in, a remote, in remote mountainous villages. Chinese authorities said Tuesday that rescue teams were working in sub-zero temperatures to help the injured and those who had lost their homes in the quake. Local officials said thousands of buildings were damaged and dozens of roads were buried by landslides. Pope Francis at the general audience expressed his closeness to those who are suffering, saying, I encourage the emergency services and invoke the blessing of the Almighty upon all so that he might bring comfort and relief in their sorrow. In his catechesis, the Pope focused on the first nativity scene created by St. Francis 800 years ago. From Vatican Radio, Christopher Wells reports. What was the saint's intention in organizing a living nativity in the small Umbrian town of Greccio? The Pope asked. Francesco non vuole realizzare una bella opera d'arte, no, no. St. Francis, he explained, wasn't trying to create a beautiful work of art, but through the nativity scene to provoke amazement at the extreme humility of the Lord, at the hardships he suffered for love of us in the poor grotto of Bethlehem. Pope Francis went on to identify two chief characteristics of the nativity scene, soberness or simplicity, and joy. The first characteristic contrasts with the hustle and bustle of the holiday season that too often leads to dissipation of heart. Instead, the nativity scene was created to bring us back to what truly matters, our relationship with God and our relations with other people. But the Pope continued, the nativity scene of Greccio speaks not only of simplicity, but also of joy. The joy of Christmas, he said, doesn't come from sumptuous presents or lavish celebrations, but instead is the joy that overflows from the heart that has tangibly experienced the closeness of Jesus, the tenderness of God, who does not leave us alone, but stands with those who feel alone. Pope Francis concluded his audience by comparing the nativity scene to a well from which we can draw out the nearness of God, the source of our hope and joy. It's like a living gospel, he said, a domestic gospel. And like the well in the Bible, the nativity scene is a place of encounter where we bring to Jesus the expectations and worries of life, just as the shepherds of Bethlehem and the people of Greccio did in their time. I'm Christopher Wells. The FTC is proposing new rules to put more limits on tech companies' collection of children's data. In announcing the proposed rules yesterday, FTC Chair Lena Khan said kids must be able to play and learn online without being endlessly tracked by companies looking to hoard and monetize their personal data. The proposed rule changes would bar tech companies from keeping data indefinitely and require education tech companies to get school approval to collect data. That's the news. It's 35 past the hour. Are you expecting the kids to wake you up at the crack of dawn on Christmas morning? Make that experience more bearable by treating yourself to some Mystic Monk coffee. They have a number of Christmas blends available, and when you go to Mystic Monk Coffee through the link at sunrisemorningshow.com, you earn us a commission. Make Christmas morning even better by drinking your coffee with a Sunrise Morning Show mug, available in our online store. Browse our mugs and link to Mystic Monk Coffee at sonrisemorningshow.com. That's sunrisemorningshow.com. Business owners are starting to think outside the box to find new customers. 
you can reach millions of engaged Catholic listeners by underwriting The Sunrise Morning Show. Each weekday morning, listeners across the U.S. and around the globe can hear your message for your business, ministry, or nonprofit on The Sunrise Morning Show. To find out how it works, email me, Leah, at sacredheartradio.com. That's Leah at sacredheartradio.com. The Baltimore Catechism asks, Why do we pray before the crucifix and the images and relics of the saints? We pray before the crucifix and the images and relics of the saints because they enliven our devotion by exciting pious affections and desires and by reminding us of Christ and of the saints that we may imitate their virtues. I know of a fellow who wanted to lose some weight, and so he cut out a picture of a man who was very fit. And he put that image right next to his mirror in his bathroom. Every morning, he'd wake up and he'd look at that picture of the fit man and say to himself, I want to be like that. And so, people very often do this. As a Dominican, I put up an image of St. Dominic. And so when I see what St. Dominic did and I think about his life, well, I get inspired and I want to be just like him. And so these things, when understood properly, don't take us away from the true faith, but rather help us to keep the faith until death. Reflecting on the Baltimore Catechism, I'm Dominican Father Ezra Sullivan. It's 37 minutes past the hour. You're listening to the Sunrise Morning Show on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. Happy to have you along with us on a Thursday morning. Father Robert Nixon is back with us now on the Sunrise Morning Show. He's a Benedictine monk at New Norcia in Australia. He's translator of the Tan Resurrection series, and we have been going through The Paradise of the Soul by St. Albert the Great. Father, welcome back. Thank you, Eddie. It's great to be with you. It is great to have you. And this week we are talking about the virtue of fortitude. How does St. Albert define fortitude? So he describes perfect fortitude is to be able to rule and govern well one's own soul. This means being able to restrain the soul from all pride, envy, wrath, lust, avarice, vainglory, self-satisfaction and carnal desire, so that the rational intelligence refuses ever to consent or to cooperate with such tendencies. Hence it is written, the one who rules his own soul is better than the one who conquers cities. So for him, fortitude is the ability to govern oneself, to rule one's own actions, one's own thought, one's own soul. And this is what fortitude, what true strength consists in. Yeah, and lest we believe that fortitude is some sort of physical strength, he offers us the example of Samson. Indeed. So here we have strength. Uh, Samson, who is this uh, figure who has phenomenal physical strength. But at the same time, when we read about his story in the Bible, we see that he was actually in some ways quite a weak character. He would be, you know, um, persuaded by various women, notably Delilah, and was kind of easily misled. So I think that's a a very good example of someone who has physical strength but doesn't have the ability to govern his own heart. And we also have the example of David, who, of course, not only had physical strength but also had a great deal of intelligence and wisdom, but 
in a few instances, he himself succumbed to various temptations. So we see someone whose strength is flawed by numerous particular weaknesses. And this complete strength, which St. Albert the Great is talking about, is perfect governing of oneself. And what is the freedom that comes with that? So I think, um, you know, if we think about our human condition, that we're, we're all subject to different temptations, tendencies, and so forth. And so from time to time, we can feel that we're not really in control of our own actions. Now, if you think about this virtue of fortitude, it means complete self-governance, self-mastery. And he talks about that in terms of freedom, um, a type of positive experience of spiritual delight. And this uh, frees us from all vices, from all temptations. It makes us truly in command of ourself. And I think that is the greatest form of power any person can have. Now, can you talk about how St. Albert distinguishes between true and false fortitude? Yes, indeed. So he talks about a false or perverse kind of fortitude. And that's when a person uses uh, their courage or strength for deeds contrary to the will of God. And, you know, we can often see this. We can often see people who are in some ways villainous, um, yet they possess great personal strength, even personal discipline and self-control. But this can all be misdirected. It can be directed towards uh, perverse purposes. So he's saying that for true strength, for true fortitude, it needs to be in accordance with the will of God. Otherwise, we're misusing one of these personal gifts. And um, he, he quotes St. Anselm. St. Anselm observes that sinning is not true freedom and generally does not arise from strength, ability or liberty, but rather from a deficiency in these things. And I think that's such an important thing these days because sometimes people think, you know, freedom is all about being able to do whatever I want, being able to indulge in whatever vices or do whatever um, activities. This is freedom. But in fact, no, it's not. It's a kind of slavery. It's not the product of strength. It's more generally the product of weakness. But you get that sort of immediate gratification when you aren't disciplined and don't have that that fortitude that you're describing, which is why I think it's all the more important that that St. Albert uh, talks about in here the the positive experience of spiritual delight um, when when you do practice true fortitude because if it was all just um i don't know dying to self and yeah. and just limiting all good you know all of that immediate gratification yeah. the stuff that feels good in the moment then yeah. people wouldn't want to yeah. have fortitude yeah and, and and absolutely and i think people experience a genuine spiritual delight when they're able to overcome temptation. Mm, you know, if yeah. a person has a particular bad habit and they manage to go through the day without succumbing to that, then I think that they experience this real joy, this real freedom. Or if a person experiences a temptation and, and they think, I know I'm tempted to say or do the wrong thing in this case, but I'm not going to do it. 
because I'm in charge of myself and this is the decision I make, then from that grows a real a deep satisfaction and happiness, which far, far exceeds the gratification people might get from, from any um, temporary pleasures of sin. And Father, will you share with us his prayer for fortitude? Absolutely. So it's a wonderful prayer for fortitude. O oh Lord, how weak and feeble is every mortal being who relies upon himself alone. But how strong are those who rely upon you? How strong is the soul that has once tasted the sweetness of your spirit, both in performing good works and in enduring tribulation, in resisting the temptations of the flesh and withstanding the hard blows of adversity? Lord, strengthen my soul with your own fortitude so that it may be able to combat the sinful influences of the old Adam within me. Never let me consent to the insidious persuasions of temptation. Lord, bring my senses and my members, especially my tongue, under firm control, for without your grace I cannot succeed in taming them. And I know that if I am left ungoverned, they will surely flare up like a fire and become a font of a multitude of evils and ills. Let neither adversity nor prosperity sway me from what is right, Lord. Govern my inner heart and let it not become fatigued in undertaking those things which are pleasing to you. Let me never shun difficulties and trials, for such things serve to nourish true and lasting fortitude and virtue, by means of which I shall be able to serve you ever more faithfully, my God. Amen. Amen. Beautiful words, beautiful prayer from St. Albert the Great, and we've been talking about the virtue of fortitude with Father Robert Nixon. The book is called The Paradise of the Soul, 42 Virtues to Reach heaven. You can find it linked at sunrisemorningshow.com. Father, really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Thank you, Annie, and I wish you in advance a very happy and blessed Christmas. And you as well, Father. We'll look forward to talking to you again in the new year. It's a quarter till now on the Sunrise Morning Show. Our Catholic counselor, Kevin Prendergast, joins us next. Support for the Sunrise Morning Show is from Visiting Angels. Visiting Angels provides experienced, compassionate care to millions of aging adults nationwide by keeping them safe and healthy in the comfort of their own home. Whether it's a short break for caregivers or for long-term assistance, Visiting Angels provides hygiene, meals, light housework, companionship, and more. And services are available up to 24 hours per day. Visiting Angels, online at visitingangels.com. That's visitingangels.com. Franchise opportunities available. Are you looking for peace? Longing for joy? Want to meet the giver of all goodness? God is calling the laity to bring Ignatian prayer into a suffering world. Work for the new evangelization. Go to LordTeachMeToPray.com. Order your free digital training and manual. Find true happiness and everlasting joy. Go to LordTeachMeToPray.com. And click on the red button today. It's free. Approved by the USCCB. Are you expecting the kids to wake you up at the crack of dawn on Christmas morning? Make that experience more bearable by treating yourself to some Mystic Monk coffee. They have a number of Christmas blends available, and when you go to Mystic Monk Coffee through the link at sunrisemorningshow.com, you earn us a commission. Make Christmas morning even better by drinking your coffee with a Sunrise Morning Show mug available in our online store. Browse our mugs and link to Mystic Monk Coffee at sonrisemorningshow.com. That's sunrisemorningshow.com. 
EWTN's Religious Catalog has terrific suggestions for Christmas gifts. ABC Get to Know the Saints with Me introduces young readers to the communion of saints in a simple and memorable way. Each page includes an easy-to-read letter of the alphabet and a charming rhyme about the life of a corresponding saint in heaven. The ABC Get to Know the Saints with Me book is one of many great Christmas gifts from EWTN Religious Catalog. For more, visit EWTNRC.com today. This is Dr. David Anders. Are your friends or family discouraging you from becoming Catholic? We can help on Called to Communion this afternoon at 2 p.m. Eastern. Now back to the Sunrise Morning Show. Sunrise Morning Show continues, and this is a time of year, Advent into Christmas, and especially as winter hits, though people... uh, People tend to get isolated. Uh, it's a little harder to get outside, and people feel alone. And here to talk about that is pastoral counselor Kevin Prendergast, a licensed counselor with decades of experience in the classroom, but also in private practice. Kevin, good morning. Hey, good morning, Matt. So there are going to be people at our parish who, you know, it looks like they're out there mixing it up with hundreds and hundreds of us for Christmas, <laughs> but they're <laughs> going to go home by themselves, and uh, there are people who even are going to be surrounded by family who are still going to feel lonely this Christmas. Uh, what are some ways to think about this and ponder how to how to break out of some of that? Yeah, I got I got two little stories to share that are very upsetting, but they're, I think they really teach us something, and it kind of goes back to uh, in Genesis when God asked uh, Cain, where's your brother? And he said, well, am I my brother's keeper? (laughs) And I know a lot of our listeners are doing a lot of charity and outreach. And I think it's about paying attention. So not getting absorbed in my own world. So the the two stories are are this, Matt, and then a couple of thoughts uh, from our faith tradition and psychology. So this really grabbed me. And I I have some friends in Dublin. And uh, last year, they pointed out a story to me that there was a man in his 70s who lived by himself in in Dublin, Michael Whiston, and uh, he was not found after he died. He lived alone, and he died and wasn't found for a year after that, which you, you read that story, you just think, how could that possibly happen? But there was another incident in the Netherlands before that where there was a 74-year-old woman uh, who wasn't discovered for 10 years after she deceased. So that seems like that's, you know, once in a million, that never happens. I can tell you from my experience, the work that I do, that I I could name off five people right now in the last five or six years in this medium-sized Midwest city who have had the same thing happen, who were found a long time after they were deceased. And and so it's disturbing, but it makes us pay attention to sit up. Um, Michael Doherty, Brendan Doherty, who writes from the for the National Review, he commented, he reflected on that story from Dublin. And what he said is, I worry that stories like his are becoming more common and will for a great long time. So I think that part of it is we don't want to pay attention to the people that are on the margins because it makes us feel uncomfortable. We kind of, it's like going by a train, train wreck or car wreck. And so we can't help but look, but then we look away because you know, we start thinking about our own mortality, about what if this happens to us? Who's going to take care of me when I'm old and when I'm alone? I don't have family nearby. So if, and then people just fall through the cracks. But as Christians, uh, that's our, our mission is we can't let anybody fall through the cracks. Now, sometimes people have mental health issues or addiction. And so in a way, they in, in some sense, they choose to be isolated. They push people away. Uh, but still, does that remove them from our care? 
So that's kind of the story. The part of, you know, like in, in faith and psychology from the counseling point of view, uh, most of the people who come to see me for counseling when they're really in distress are in some way their relationships are, are broken or damaged. A lot of people are out of community. And even though we've got more and more technology to keep in touch with each other, and you've talked about this, you and Annie, a lot, is we don't have that face-to-face -face contact, and we need that. One of my colleagues uh, wrote a book about marriage where the title was Created for Connection. Created for Connection. We're hardwired in us that we need each other. And it's disturbing because as people move away and are more mobile, a lot of us don't have our kids or our families, our relatives close by. And then if something happens, it doesn't take much to push us into that that stage of life, uh, kind of yeah. like Michael Wiston in, in Dublin, right? That, that well, we're, we fall into despair. Yeah. And if it's that bad now, and it's always been, there have always been people who have fallen through the cracks. And mm -hmm. uh, in, in some ways, social media is the only way that you can sort of tell where somebody is or check up on them uh, mm -hmm. when, once people you know, disperse like that. But I, I, I'm wondering, too. I mean, I know that there are people also who have either – lost a spouse or you know maybe they've never gotten married and like this is the time of year where they're like ah everybody else has got somebody to go home with me <laughs> right uh mm -hmm. you've got you've got some of those things going on but also uh Kevin I'm I'm kind of wondering generationally down the line 20 30 40 years from now there are so many people from my generation and younger who mm -hmm. decided they don't want to have kids at all they don't want to get married at all and yeah. that's all good and well for your 20s and 30s and maybe 40s while you're out and partying and living the dual income, no kids life or the, mm -hmm. the bachelor existence. But after that, uh, who who is tied to you who yeah. has like a family obligation to see if you're OK? I mean, it's a, it's I, I'm, I'm, I'm right. very worried about where this might go. Yeah. And I think the good part about the digital connection is it does help people who are isolated or homebound or have mobility issues that we can still reach out and be connected through support groups and check in and still have relationships. But it's not a complete substitute. I mean, I'm, I'm the minority opinion in my field at this point that uh, telehealth, you know, cannot possibly uh, replace a person-to-person -person contact. Right. I got your back situation. on that one. <laughs> okay. Yeah. But I think With that, my very you know, unprofessional like, opinion. Yeah. Okay. But but here, and I think it applies to our churches too. Like it's necessary right now that parishes merge and work together and consolidate uh, to re preserve resources and all that. But but some of our parishes are so large right now, it's easier and easier to fall between the cracks. We we don't know anybody there, and it takes an effort. And you know, if, you know, a question is if some older person at our parish stopped coming to their regular. 7 a.m. mass or, you know, 10 o'clock on Sunday, who would notice? Who would check up on them? Who would even think about that? And I think that's that should make us a little uncomfortable. One of the other things that might, you know, disturb our conscience a little bit is in the Netherlands, it's been the secular social agencies after this woman's death, you know, where she wasn't discovered for 10 years, that started a whole campaign across the country, one against loneliness, and a, and a lot of different things, putting young people in touch with seniors, visiting um, even working with some of the grocery stores to have, you know, get get rid of the self-checkout, have one counter that's just for people 60 and older who want to come through and don't want to rush and maybe want to chat with the cashier. So in our country, well, that's not efficient uh, and it costs too much money. Mm. Uh, but I think there are some initiatives from the secular realm. So the article in the BBC that I saw that described this didn't really talk about what the church is doing there. So what could we do? Pope Benedict had a great suggestion uh, in his senior years is that maybe 
on Sunday, you know, Sunday is the day, obviously, the Lord's Day given to worship, but also to service, to charity, so that maybe to think about it, and if this is what he challenged us to do, you know, a number of years ago, is maybe our families to dedicate some part of Sundays or some Sundays in the month to visiting a nursing home, checking in on, on older neighbors, uh, making a visit to the jail if that's, uh, if that's within our comfort zone, so that we go out, you know, go out to the margins. And there's people, we don't have to go across the world to find people in the margins. They're right here in our cities. Uh, so I think those are things to, to think about. It's kind of another inventory or an examination of consciences. Maybe I'm doing that already, which is great. And what does the Lord want me to do? And I think it ties right in with Christmas, that a lot of the Christmas the nativity stories in Matthew and Luke are about people who are poor and abandoned and uh, isolated and older and neglected. Uh, and the Christ child comes as a sign of hope and inspires us to do the same. Yeah, who are the... Who are the first people that get invited to the the stable in Bethlehem? It's people who are, are uh, working nights, yeah, <laughs> right? right. Yeah. Out by themselves in the fields. So yes, a uh, very great thing to reflect upon. Kevin, uh, I almost called you Kevin Schmeezing. We got so many Kevins. <laughs> Kevin Prendergast. <laughs> Merry yeah. Christmas. We'll talk to you in the new year. Hey, thanks, Matt. God bless. I, I love all the Kevins around here. It's a great thing. Uh, truly, our bounty hath increased. Kevin Fold. Back with another full hour after this, it's Three Till. Arise, it's a new day. Hear his word, let us pray. The sunrise morning show. Hey, a way to start your day. We continue through this season of Advent with just a few days to go on this Thursday, December the 21st. Let's pray together in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Lord, come and reward your people's hope. You came forth from the bosom of the Father to clothe yourself in our humanity. Bring joy to those who long in faithful prayer to see your face. You came to start a life the prophet prepared to announce your coming to the world. Stir to joy those you have appointed to preach the gospel in our day. You came to fulfill the promise made to Israel. Grant perseverance to those who live according to your promised kingdom. O oh God, during this season of hope, you call your beloved people to arise in joy, to greet the celebration of the coming of your Son as the promised Messiah. Free us from all that would keep us from looking forward with eagerness to his return and glory. We ask this through Christ our Lord, whose advent we hail. Amen. It is a better way to continue through the season of Advent. I know a lot of people have already shifted gears. Christmas parties already happening. Christmas pageants and stuff already happening. And that's all good and well. It's uh, A lot of us are seeing each other for the last time before Christmas. But we still have Advent. We still got some stuff to sort out. We still got some quiet to strive for and some peace and silence. It is the Sunrise Morning Show. I'm Matt Swaim. Anna Mitchell has news. Paul Lockman at the controls. And up this hour, Dr. John Bergsma has more on Ephesians and what it shows us about the love between God and his people. Rita Heikenfeld will talk about the 12 days of Christmas, which don't actually start until Christmas. And she has a recipe for a pomegranate vinaigrette, which sounds very festive and will be a great thing to like uh, dress up a, a common salad. 
this Christmas for your Christmas feast. Gary Machuda has more thoughts on uh, how we can believe the reliability of the gospel accounts, and then Ken Craycraft along as well. So stay with us if you can. Right now it is two minutes past. News of service of Central Fabricators and centralfabricators.com. Here's Anna Mitchell. Good morning. The Senate has closed up shop for the year the year, and does not have a deal to provide funding, more funding for Ukraine. The Senate adjourned yesterday and will reconvene on January 8th. In the meanwhile, Senate and White House negotiators plan to hold virtual meetings on an emergency foreign aid package over the Christmas and New Year's break. Pope Francis, at his general audience yesterday, reiterated his calls for peace in Ukraine and in the Holy Land. After reflecting on the nativity scene during his catechesis, he connected it with the work of peace, asking the faithful to go to the crib and ask Jesus for peace. He is the Prince of Peace, he said. In these days, we will see God lying in a manger. This is the strongest message of peace for the life of each one of us and for the world today. The Holy Father also offered his prayers for all affected by a deadly earthquake this week in China. From Vatican Radio, Joseph Tollock reports. I turn my thoughts to the victims and those injured in the devastating earthquake that struck the Chinese provinces of Gansu and Qinghai on Monday. I am close with affection and prayer to the suffering people. I encourage the emergency services and invoke the blessing of the Almighty upon all so that he might bring comfort and relief in their sorrow. At least 131 people died in the magnitude 6.2 earthquake, which struck just before midnight on Monday, and nearly 1,000 were injured. Survivors had to contend with temperatures of minus 13 degrees Celsius, or around 9 degrees Fahrenheit. The Chinese government has announced that its rescue operations are coming to an end, and that it is now focusing on treating the injured and helping those who have lost their homes. I'm Joseph Tullock. Pope Francis, in his catechesis, reflected on the nativity scene, saying, It teaches simplicity and joy. The Holy Father was reflecting on the original scene created by St. Francis 800 years ago. He said that St. Francis was seeking to, quote, provoke amazement at the extreme humility of the Lord, at the hardships he suffered for love of us in the poor grotto of Bethlehem. He said the nativity scene was created to bring us back to what truly matters, to God who comes to dwell among us. The FTC is proposing new rules that would put more limits on tech companies' collection of children's data. In announcing the proposed rules yesterday, the FTC chair said kids must be able to play and learn online without, quote, being endlessly tracked by companies looking to hoard and monetize their personal data, end quote. The proposed rule changes would bar tech companies from keeping data indefinitely and would require education tech companies to get school approval to collect kids' data. The immigration crisis is apparently exploding on the U.S. southern border. Mark Mayfield reports. Border agents report a record 14,000 migrants showed up to Eagle Pass, Texas on just one day this week, a new record and a growing problem for a city of just 30,000 residents. Republican Congressman Tony Gonzalez, who represents Eagle Pass, tweeted, President Biden has abandoned border communities like mine. Republican senators are tying any aid to Ukraine to the border crisis. 
I'm Mark Mayfield. The U.S. is agreeing to a prisoner swap deal with Venezuela. The Biden administration will release a close ally of Venezuelan President Nicolas Maduro in exchange for 10 Americans detained in the country. The agreement includes the return of six Americans who were deemed wrongfully detained. Venezuela has also agreed to extradite Leonard Glenn Francis, a former defense contractor who's at the center of one of the Navy's largest corruption cases and fled the U.S. An additional 20 Venezuelan political prisoners will also be released from custody. And the highest grossing movies of 2023 have been revealed. Matt, any guesses? Uh, Barbie and Oppenheimer. Barbie, yes. Nothing topped Greta Gerwig's Barbie, which raked in more than $1.4 billion since hitting theaters in July. You are correct. Christopher Nolan's drama Oppenheimer was number two. Okay. You were wrong about Uh, number three. The Spider-Verse. The Super Mario Brothers movie Uh, was number three. And then some other- Spider-Verse I don't even see Spider-Verse. Didn't see four. Um, mm. the, well, the only other ones that my story here mentions in the top ten. Mission Impossible, Dead Reckoning Part 1, Fast X, and Ant-Man. Oh, that's the latest and Fast and the Furious. Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantumania. Quantumania. I'd never heard of those last I'm way behind on three. Marvel. I, uh... I canceled Disney Plus a little while back, and now I'm like 500 movies behind in Marvel. I'm sorry. And man. I think I'm okay. Are you okay? Same with Star Wars. I just, I don't know. I don't have any idea what's happening out there. And I, I still feel okay. Wanna, I still want to see Barbie. Only movie I've got on my schedule to watch in the next week, Anna Mitchell, is Ernest Saves Christmas. Everything else can wait. Muppet Christmas Carol? Oh, yeah, we'll get to that, too. But Ernest is my priority. Oh, okay. Well, today is Thursday, December the 21st. It is the feast of St. Peter Canisius, a bishop and doctor of the church. Pray for us. It is also my godson's birthday. Happy birthday, Zeke Swaim. Wow. 12 years old. Big year. Big year. Dr. John Burksma back with us now on the Sunrise Morning Show. He's author of Love Basics for Catholics. Good morning, Doc. Good morning, Anna. So we are continuing to unpack St. Paul's teaching on marriage and the church in the letter to the Ephesians. Now, to start off today, Doc, just remind us how the church is both the body of Christ and a temple. Yes, you see both languages being used in Ephesians, and and Paul will mix them up. He'll say things like, you know, a temple that grows or a body that's built, you know, mm-hmm. and it, he'll mix the metaphors back and forth. Um, and this is a beautiful theme that runs all through Scripture, going all the way back to uh, Adam you know, whose who's rib, I don't know if we've talked about this on the show, but... Yeah, I wanted to ask about this. This is fascinating. Yes, yes. The the word used for Adam's rib is is really an architectural term, like uh, like you would call it a stud 
in uh, in contracting, you know, a two-by-four that you put up to brace, you know, that's the kind of word that's used for rib back there. Wow, and, wow. and it's almost only ever used uh, when talking about building the temple in the Old Testament. But it points to Adam's body being an original temple, so his body was... Because the Holy Spirit breathed into Adam's nostrils, right? So Jesus is new Adam... You got all that going on there. John two twenty one. He spoke of the temple of his body, uh, and then we're the body because we eat his body through the Eucharist. So this, you know, you could see that you could just walk around this mystery and view it from all these different perspectives. But uh, the church is closely united to Christ uh, in in a marital covenant, and we are his body. We're we we share his nature, and so Paul goes back and forth between temple and body uh, when talking about the church and Jesus' relationship to it. Now then, what are the implications for us as members of this church, which is both body and temple? Well, one of the implications that St. Paul draws out is that every one of us is important in Ephesians 4, and each of us needs to do our part within the body. And this is something he emphasizes elsewhere in uh, his epistles, like in Corinthians, where he says, you know, the hand cannot say to the eye, I have no need of you, and and, uh, things of that nature. But every one of us has a place within the body of Christ, and we may be a ligament, we may be a muscle, we may be a bicep, uh, whatever it might be, but we have to do our part. You know, it's kind of one of those uh, weakest link kinds of uh, things. You know, when you go to the gym, all of your muscle groups may be working fine when you're trying to do that pull-up, but if you got, you know, one weak muscle that, uh, that tears, it can, it can bring the whole process down. And so, you know, we need to cooperate within the one body of Christ. And then within that, of course, uh, Christian spouses have a particularly special role because we have an iconic um, role to play in exemplifying that marital relationship between Jesus and his church. Absolutely. And I want to spend a whole separate segment talking about that particular part um, in Ephesians 5, because obviously we know there's a lot of confusion over what St. Paul is actually saying there. But let's lay the groundwork for that next discussion that we'll have on that. Um, I'm first of all going to read what you were just mentioning here in in Ephesians 4, where uh, he's talking about how we need to have, it talks about the stature of the fullness of Christ so that we may no longer be children tossed back and forth and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the cunning of men, by their craftiness and deceitful wiles. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by every joint with which it is supplied, when each part is working properly, makes bodily growth and upbuilds itself in love. Now, the reason I read that is to ask how that then plays into what we'll talk about the next time. And this idea of 
of subordination. Wives be subordinate to your husbands um, is the controversial phrase, right, Dr. Bergsma? But how are we meant to be subordinate, or maybe you can give us a better translation of what St. Paul is saying there, um, to each other as, as Christians? Yes, this is a general virtue, this virtue of placing yourself under. In Greek, it's a word, hupotasomai. Don't expect anybody to remember that. Hupotasomai. <laughs> Not hippopotamus. Hupotasomai. That's right. It means it means to place yourself under another one, another person. It means to defer to them, you know, to, to allow them to go first, uh, for example. And, and in some cases, um, Anna, it even has a sense of self-entrustment, you know. I entrust myself to another person, and that's especially how it, uh, it, it comes out later when we'll talk about that marital relationship. But I think before we get into talking about wives entrusting themselves to their husbands or subordinating themselves, as it's often translated, we have to recognize that this is a general virtue. It's not just like only women are called to do this. It's like every Christian believer is called to subordinate themselves to other believers. That is to say, look look to others' interests before your own. Practice what John Paul II calls, you know, the the uh, the mystery of the self gift. You know, that is to say, give oneself away, uh, put others' interests before uh, one one's own, and and learn how by giving ourselves away we really emulate God. Because this is one of the unique things about our faith that in the Catholic faith we come to understand that God is not this monarch. Uh, ruling and dictating over the world, although, yes, he has all authority, but primarily God is one who gives himself away. The Father gives himself to the Son, the Son gives himself back to the Father, and the self that they exchange is the Holy Spirit. So when we learn to lay down our lives, we're becoming godlike. That is an amazing message of the Christian faith. Absolutely. Doing it all out of reverence, for Christ. We'll leave it there for now. Encourage folks to go pick up a copy of Love Basics for Catholics. You can find it linked at sunrisemorningshow.com. Doc, thank you so much. Absolutely. Talk to you next time. All right, it's 17 past. Back with headlines after this. The Christmas Means Life campaign encourages you to add another person to your Christmas list, the baby Jesus, as represented by women and children in need by making a donation to your local pregnancy center. Another option is to support the JP2 Life Center, committed to saving lives with free pregnancy help services, holistic OBGYN care, and education programs. Find out more at jpiilifecenter.org. That's jpiilifecenter.org because Christmas means life. For over 500 years, the church-honored spiritual exercises of St. Ignatius of Loyola have formed many saints. This treasured way of personal prayer with God is now available to you for free. Order your free training manual at lordteachmetopray.com and bring Ignatian prayer to others. Lord Teach Me to Pray is approved by the USCCB. Order your free training manual at lordteachmetopray.com. That's lordteachmetopray.com. Lord Teach Me to Pray underwrites the Sunrise Morning Show. 
Business owners are starting to think outside the box to find new customers. You can reach millions of engaged Catholic listeners by underwriting the Sunrise Morning Show. Each weekday morning, listeners across the U.S. and around the globe can hear your message for your business, ministry, or nonprofit on the Sunrise Morning Show. To find out how it works, email me, Leah, at sacredheartradio.com. That's Leah at sacredheartradio.com. EWTN Radio is seeking an assistant to the operations manager in overseeing broadcast content in Radio Master Control. This candidate will ensure delivery of our Catholic audio programming while actively monitoring the on-air signals of a number of automated and live playout systems. For all the details about this exciting opportunity, visit EWTN.com and click on Employment at the bottom of the page to be part of Mother Angelica's mission of evangelization. 19 past, here's Anna with headlines. The Senate has adjourned for the year and have not reached a deal on funding for Ukraine. Pope Francis reflected on the nativity scene during his catechesis and afterwards connected it with the work of peace at his general audience, asking the faithful to go to the crib and ask Jesus for peace around the world. The Holy Father also offered his prayers for all those affected by a deadly earthquake this week in China. News coming up again at half past the hour. Here's about 11 minutes from now. Uh, Anna Mitchell, yesterday Bill Schmidt was on the show talking about the song, I Wander As I Wander. Mm -hmm. I Wonder As I Wander. And some of the lyrics and what it means to wonder and wander properly in Advent. And immediately after we hung up with him, you started talking about your frustration with the grammar. Yeah. Of the song, which says how Jesus the Savior did come for to die for poor ordinary people like you and like I. When it should be like me, yeah. grammatically speaking. Exactly. Bill wanted to suggest a follow-up discussion with you oh. about the grammar in the song. He says, uh, and I'm n noting from an email he sent me. He says, uh, I'll start a campaign to change it to how Jesus the Savior, he died on a tree for poor ordinary people like you and like me. Bill Schmidt. See, there you nicely go. Nicely done, man. Love it. I'm not as bothered by that. I told him I'm much more bothered by, like, when they change the words in joy to the world to make them inclusive, but they kill the poetry. Mm -hmm. So where it says, let men their tongues employ, it gets changed sometimes to let us our songs employ. It just take the percussive, like, poetic. I don't know. Like, mm -hmm. I still sing the old way. It's 21 past. On your Christmas list this year, give them the gift of Mystic Monk Coffee. The Carmelite Monks of Wyoming have a number of seasonal blends that would make for a great Christmas morning brew. And when you purchase it, after clicking the Mystic Monk link at sunrisemorningshow.com, you support the monks and the show. If your coffee lover is also a fan of the Sunrise Morning Show, pick up a mug or travel mug for them in our online store. Get a mug and link to Mystic Monk Coffee at sonrisemorningshow.com. That's sunrisemorningshow.com. Business owners are starting to think outside the box to find new customers. You can reach millions of engaged Catholic listeners by underwriting The Sunrise Morning Show. Each weekday morning, listeners across the U.S. and around the globe can hear your message for your business, ministry, or nonprofit on The Sunrise Morning Show. To find out how it works, email me, Leah, at sacredheartradio.com. That's Leah at sacredheartradio.com. O come, creator spirit, come. 
and make within our souls thy home. Supply thy grace and heavenly aid to fill the hearts which thou hast made. O gift of God most high, thy name is Comforter, whom we acclaim, the fount of life, the fire of love, the soul's anointing from above. The sevenfold gift of grace is thine, thou finger of the hand divine. The Father's promise true to teach, thy light to every sense impart, pour forth thy love in every heart. Our weakened flesh do thou restore, to strength and courage evermore. Drive far away our ghostly foe, thine own abiding peace bestow. If thou dost go before as guide, no evil can our steps betide. Through thee may we the Father learn, and know the Son, and thee discern, who art of both, and thus adore, in perfect faith forevermore. Amen. For Sacred Heart Radio, I'm Dominican Father Henry Steffen. It is time for Bible Foods with Rita Heikenfeld from AboutEating.com. And this time of year, there are so many different ways to talk about food and tradition and story and family and wrap it all together. Rita, good morning. Good morning. And you know how I love these legends. I do indeed. Let's talk about the 12 days of Christmas. Uh, This is a song that a lot of people don't realize. Uh, The 12 days of Christmas start at Christmas. And uh, some people over the years have tried to figure out ways to make those numbers of those things match different things that relate to our faith. So if you could uh, set the stage for us a little bit. Oh, sure. You know, that that Christmas song, The Twelve Days of Christmas, there's a legend um, behind it. And here it is. It's that the song was a sort of kind of secret catechism for kids um, that could be sung in public in England. Now, this is from like the 1500s, Matt to the mid-1800s without fear of arrest, because uh, sometimes during those times, Catholics in England uh, weren't permitted to practice their faith openly. And so the first one, the partridge in a pear tree, is, of course, Jesus. And then the true love that's mentioned um, in the song refers to God himself. And then the me, quote-unquote, receiving all the gifts, is every Christian. And what I love is that there's a passage in Luke 13 about how uh, a bird wanted to keep her kids safe under her wings, sort of like uh, Jesus said to Jerusalem, how often would I have sheltered thee under my wings as a hen does her chicks, but you wouldn't let me. So I love that passage as well. And Uh, then, of course, also, you know, you have the image of Christ, uh, you know, on a tree that is in every... Catholic Church, right? Uh, the uh, the idea of the cross, the wood of the cross. I mean, there's so many layers to that analogy. But let's talk about the two turtle doves. Oh, I love this, too. The Old and the New Testaments. Doesn't that make sense? There you go. There you go. Then we got three French hens. Yeah, um, the three French hens, Matt, stand for faith, hope, and love. And then the four calling birds, those, of course, are the four Gospels. All right. Now, out of all the things that you've said so far, I feel like you'd probably be okay with some French hens. Um, <laughs> I, but I'm pretty sure that if Frank set you up with five golden rings, you'd be a lot happier. Oh, well, I think so, because I've already got the hens, and I don't have five golden rings. Yeah. And um, the five golden rings uh, recall the Hebrew, which is the Torah, the law, the first five books of the Old Testament. So I love that, too. And then the six geese laying stand for the six days of creation. So that's just such a visual there, too. 
And then the seven swans of swimming represent the seven gifts of the Holy Spirit, including one of my favorites, which I'm still trying to achieve, is wisdom. There you go. I need all the help I can get on that one. Uh-huh. Uh, and then the, we get to the eight maids of milking. The eight maids of milking uh, represent the eight beatitudes. Uh, there are so many great ones in the beatitude. I think um, this time of year around the world, you know, you and I are able to uh, go to Mass real easy. Mm-hmm. And uh, I know that there are so many Christians around the world for whom it is difficult or they face persecution and opposition. So when I hear blessed are those who are persecuted for uh, Jesus's name's sake. I always think of my brothers and sisters around the world who, who don't have the freedom that we do here to worship Christ publicly. Yeah, and that's a, a great way to remember that too. One of my favorites in the Eight Beatitudes is "Blessed are the peacemakers." Um, important now in this time, of course, too, because they shall be called children of God. Again, I think that's really. Um, pretty appropriate for this time. And then the nine ladies dancing are the nine fruits of the Holy Spirit. And one of my favorites, I want to know what yours is, mine is joy this time of year, just joy. Uh, I'm going to go with patience. (laughs) (laughs) I uh, do that all the time, yeah. The fruits of the Spirit, depending on the the way I memorized (laughs) the list, was love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And Paul goes on to say in Galatians 5, Against these things, there is no law. There's no law against you being patient. Isn't <laughs> you know, that the truth? Um, how about the ten lords of leaping? Well, those are so familiar. Those, of course, are the Ten Commandments. I mean, again, such a great analogy there. And then the eleven pipers piping represent the eleven faithful apostles. So, and then the twelve drummers drumming the twelve points of doctrine in the Apostles' Creed. And uh, rather than go through the whole thing, you should uh, go back and look at the Apostles' Creed and try and make it, turn it into bullet points, and you'll see those 12, those 12 things. You know, not a bad way to remember basically a whole bunch of important stuff about our faith by just learning one Christmas song. Mm-hmm, for sure, for sure. All right, so you've got a pomegranate vinaigrette. Uh, this, is, this is great because pomegranates are a fun fruit to eat this time of year. They look cool in like a Christmas like fruit basket. Uh, but they also are biblical, and uh, my guess is that this pomegranate vinaigrette that you're going to suggest uh, not only has some good like seasonal flavor to it, but probably also adds like some nice color to the table. Oh, it's beautiful. Red, the pomegranate seeds are red, and really, really easy. Uh, you just take some pomegranate seeds, and if you don't have the seeds, you could use juice. Uh, put all this in a blender, the pomegranate seeds, some olive oil, some maple syrup, lemon juice, and white balsamic vinegar or uh, just white wine vinegar if you don't have the balsamic, a big squirt of Dijon mustard, salt and pepper, and you just whirl that in the blender, and it turns a lovely pink. And depending on your blender, it'll be either chunky or smooth, real smooth. Um, It makes a lovely dressing for Christmas because you've got the greens and then the red. And then I've got, of course, a tip on how to remove the pomegranate seeds on my site. You know, I've followed your advice on pomegranate uh, peeling and seeding. <laughs> yeah. And I'm getting better, but I still make an awful mess of it every time I try and do a pomegranate. So, but I love them. They're oh, fun. Yeah. They're so cool looking on the inside. But uh, we've got this recipe for pomegranate vinaigrette from Rita Heikenfeld. It's right there in the show notes. The whole thing at sunrisemorningshow.com. Click on over to About Eating and say hello to Rita. Rita, Merry Christmas. We'll talk to you in the new year.
Uh, we sure will. And Merry Christmas to everybody at Sacred Heart Sunrise Morning Show. Half past the hour, here's Anna with news. Good morning. The Senate has adjourned for 2023 and had no deal to to fund Ukraine. The Senate adjourned yesterday and will reconvene on January 8th. In the meantime, the Senate and White House negotiators plan to hold virtual meetings on an emergency foreign aid package over the Christmas and New Year's break. Secretary of State Antony Blinken is defending the U.S. position on the Israel-Hamas war. Mark Mayfield reports. During an end-of-the-year news conference, Blinken said that Israel has a right and obligation to defend itself against the militant group in Gaza. Israel and the U.S. have faced international criticism for resisting calls for a ceasefire as the civilian death toll rises. Blinken said while everyone would like to see the conflict end as soon as possible, it can't end with Hamas remaining intact with the capacity to attack Israel. He also questioned why the international community isn't demanding that Hamas lay down its arms and surrender. I'm Mark Mayfield. Pope Francis, at his general audience yesterday, reiterated his calls for peace in the Holy Land and in Ukraine. After reflecting on the nativity scene during his catechesis, he connected that with the work of peace, asking the faithful to go to the crib and ask Jesus for peace. He is the Prince of Peace. He said, in these days, we will see God lying in a manger. This is the strongest message of peace for the life of each one of us and for the world today. The Holy Father also offered his prayers for those affected by a Chinese earthquake. At least 130 people have been killed. The magnitude 6.2 earthquake struck northwest China Monday night, leaving nearly 1,000 injured in remote mountainous villages. Chinese authorities said Tuesday that rescue teams were working in sub-zero temperatures to help the injured and those who had lost their homes. Local officials say thousands of buildings were damaged and dozens of roads buried by landslides. Pope Francis at the general audience expressed his closeness to those who are suffering. In his catechesis, he focused on the the first nativity scene created by St. Francis 800 years ago. From Vatican Radio, Christopher Wells reports. What was the saint's intention in organizing a living nativity in the small Umbrian town of Greccio? The Pope asked. Francesco non voglia realizzare una bella opera d'arte, no, no. St. Francis, he explained, wasn't trying to create a beautiful work of art, but through the nativity scene to provoke amazement at the extreme humility of the Lord, at the hardships he suffered for love of us in the poor grotto of Bethlehem. Pope Francis went on to identify two chief characteristics of the nativity scene, soberness or simplicity, and joy. The first characteristic contrasts with the hustle and bustle of the holiday season that too often leads to dissipation of heart. Instead, the nativity scene was created to bring us back to what truly matters, our relationship with God and our relations with other people. But the Pope continued, the nativity scene of Greccio speaks not only of simplicity, but also of joy. The joy of Christmas, he said, doesn't come from sumptuous presents or lavish celebrations, but instead is the joy that overflows from the heart that has tangibly experienced the closeness of Jesus, the tenderness of God, who does not leave us alone, but stands with those who feel alone. Pope Francis concluded his audience by comparing the nativity scene to a well from which we can draw out the nearness of God, the source of our hope and joy. 
un Vangelo domestico. It's like a living gospel, he said, a domestic gospel. And like the well in the Bible, the nativity scene is a place of encounter where we bring to Jesus the expectations and worries of life, just as the shepherds of Bethlehem and the people of Greccio did in their time. I'm Christopher Wells. The FTC is proposing new rules to put more limits on tech companies' collection of children's data. In announcing the proposed rules yesterday, FTC Chair Lena Kahn said kids must be able to play and learn online without, quote, being endlessly tracked by companies looking to hoard and monetize their personal data. And a storm packing a lot of Pacific moisture will dump heavy rain from Southern California to Arizona from now through the end of the week. Forecasters say the storm could pour out a month's worth of rain over the next few days, leading to major travel problems, flooding and debris flow. Some parts of Southern California coast might catch even more rain than what Hillary delivered back in August. That's the news. It's 35 packs. Are you expecting the kids to wake you up at the crack of dawn on Christmas morning? Make that experience more bearable by treating yourself to some Mystic Monk coffee. They have a number of Christmas blends available, and when you go to Mystic Monk Coffee through the link at sunrisemorningshow.com, you earn us a commission. Make Christmas morning even better by drinking your coffee with a Sunrise Morning Show mug, available in our online store. Browse our mugs and link to Mystic Monk Coffee at sonrisemorningshow.com. That's sunrisemorningshow.com. This is Father Rob Jack with the Heart of St. Paul. How does St. Paul see himself? Galatians 2.20 gives us a clear answer. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives within me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Is St. Paul saying that he's possessed by Christ? Of course not. But by an act of faith, Paul has made himself a servant of Christ. By that act of faith, Paul welcomes the Spirit of Christ into his very soul, who shapes in his heart the very being of Christ. He empties himself of his hopes and dreams so that the real hopes and dreams that God has for him may be brought to fruition. Paul is not like a robot taking orders from Christ. Rather, by his own free will, Paul chooses to allow the Word of God, through the power of the Holy Spirit, to shape his very being. He recognizes that Jesus Christ is the primary minister, preacher, and priest of the faith, and by his love and service of Christ, Paul becomes truly free. He asks the Christians around him to follow his example. If Christ lives in one's heart, we will discover that our life is purer and stronger than if it came from us alone, because it truly comes from Christ's heart. And this is what the heart of Paul teaches us. The Sunrise Morning Show continues. I'm Matt Swaim, joined now by Gary Machuda from Hands On Apologetics. And he has got a book called The Gospel Truth that helps us to understand why the gospel accounts are trustworthy. Gary, good morning. Morning, Matt. So I've heard a bunch of different variations on this argument. I've interestingly enough uh, heard it as an argument against the Deuterocanonical books as well. Uh, But I've also heard a lot of atheists and progressives say well you know how are we supposed to know we 
you know, the things that we have, the Gospels, they were probably written way later. We probably don't have the original things that were written. We don't even have that many accounts, so how can we know that it's true? Uh, I mean, how do we answer that that idea that, well, we just don't have a ton. We've just got these four reliable books, so maybe it's not true. Yeah, well, um, it, what you look at is, and, and we've been going over this over the past few weeks, of looking at how the, the data that we do have, right? Um, now, if you're talking about the early church, uh, there's a lot of, I mean, we only have so many writings that have survived the ages. And the, the way you can find out what was the original is, is basically a three-step process. You look for something that can be traced all the way back, so you're looking for antiquity. You're also looking for something that's found in every place, so it's called ubiquity. And then you're looking for consensus, because that which was originally handed on was copied and distributed you know, throughout the known world. And those are the earmarks for whether it's authentic, because obviously it, it couldn't possibly be by chance that everywhere around the world there was a consensus that it went all the way back that was erroneous, right? There has to be some sort of unifying factor that explains that, that phenomenon. And, and the, only, uh, the, the most reasonable one is that, that it all comes from the same source. So we can trace our way backwards through history to what the original had. Well, and I think also there's a presumption. Well, like all kinds of things that uh, we think about in our day and age, we sort of map our modern, postmodern understanding of them back on to previous generations and just assume that ancient Christians thought exactly like we did, meaning that if uh, I handed you, uh, you a piece of paper, Gary, I was like, write this down, this stuff. You're going to make like your own sort of notes on it, and that's what you're going to keep. Right, but if somebody hands you and something and says, "This is a letter from Paul," I need you to transcribe it for me. I mean, there are people who like this is like their whole career is making sure that these things are copied correctly. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Yeah, it's a very different world um, in the the um, uh, when we're talking about scripture, and, and we've gone through this uh, that there was actually a mechanism that disciples would pass on information from the rabbis. Uh, copying process, likewise, is very important. And uh, you know where I think Matt, most people get tripped up is that they they often look for uniformity rather than consensus. You know, you can still witness to the truth, although you might not be as precise. Nevertheless, that, that still is a available indicator of what is true. Yeah, and we see this, too. I mean, where, uh, you know, I think the example we've used a lot of times uh, here is that we can tell a story of something funny that happened in our family, and someone will tell a piece of it, and someone will say, oh, you left out this other part. You know, this one, the real reason it was funny was because so-and-so was doing this. Like, these are the ways that we tell stories. Uh, even right. in our own day and age. Uh, but the other objection that you sometimes might hear is that if Jesus was this big of a deal and he really was, quote-unquote, the Messiah, then why do we, why are we missing massive chunks of his life? How come we don't have, uh, during some of these uh, events where he has these encounters with people, these parables are only like three sentences long, right? These healings are only a few sentences long. Like, if it was true, wouldn't we have 
a lot more thorough accounts and descriptions of what happened. I mean, how do we respond to that? Yeah, well, I mean, you, you know, you, what you need to do is go by the data that you have on hand, not the data that you don't, right? So we, if you want to know whether or not these happen, well, we have data that it does happen. Now, would we want more data? Well, yeah, absolutely. We'd love to. But uh, but that's just not what we have on hand, you know. <laughs> Besides that, uh, like I mentioned before, Jesus tapped into this rabbi-disciple relationship. There was a community of believers in which this body of information was passed on. And like what you said, you know, there's always somebody out there that's a truth detector that if somebody gets a detail wrong or, uh, you know, something's augmented, they will pipe up. And if that's true for family stories, how much more true if the Son of God and King of Kings became man and dwelt with us? You know, you're going to make sure those details are correct and not be embellished rather than embellish them. Well, I'm trying to think of another recipe, or another idea related to recipes, because this is a time of year where family recipes often happen. Now, there are certain mm-hmm. things that have been passed down in my family, and uh, some of them may have originally existed on a 3x5 card, and that 3x5 card has had so much, like, butter and, like, uh, <laughs> you know, paprika, <laughs> like, it's, it's just destroyed. So what I have done in some cases is either write a new 3 by 5 card or type it out and put it in a binder. Now, if someone were to come along centuries from now and find that, they would say maybe, well, some sources say this recipe dates back to the early 20th century, but we don't have an original copy dating past 1995. So maybe 1995 is the date when we can actually say this recipe came into existence. But I know <laughs> that I wouldn't have written it down in 1995 unless it was existing for a few generations before me. And I have to think that the early Christians are probably the same way. Like, sometimes those early things didn't survive. That doesn't mean they didn't exist. That doesn't mean that the oldest copy we have right now is the oldest copy there ever was. Right, exactly. Yeah, it's, it's gone through various iterations. And, and you know, it, it's that's actually... It's a good analogy, but it, it doesn't really square with the facts that, you know, not only would there be one index card that had this recipe, but there would be multiple multiples ones, right, yes. right throughout your family. And so even if you just have a couple of index cards, if you're in the future looking back, you'd have to ask yourself, well, you know, where did this come from? Did they all just accidentally have exactly the same family recipe or... You know, is there a uh, common parent, you know, text that was originally made? Somebody actually came up with the recipe. And, you know, things just don't pop up everywhere simultaneously and all agree just by chance. You know, I love this quote from Tertullian where he says, like, uh, basically he says that chaos doesn't fall into order, right? Order always falls in the chaos. So if you have you know, like I said, antiquity, consensus, and uh, ubiquity, uh, that shows that there must be a common underlier that's unifying these things together, because you just don't all make the same mistakes the same way. Well, Gary Machuda, we've got hands-on apologetics linked at sunrisemorningshow.com. It's a fantastic resource uh, for all kinds of, well, hands-on apologetics, for lack of a better way of putting it, uh, including... Uh, Over there, you can find Gary's book, The Gospel Truth. 
Gary, thank you so much for everything you've done for us this year. We'll talk to you in the new year. Have a great day. Thanks, man. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas to you. King Craycraft joins us next. It's a quarter till. For 150 years, the Komboni missionaries have followed in the footsteps of their founders and Daniel Komboni. We are an active missionary group sharing our deep faith in God through service to the poorest and most abandoned people around the world, satisfying both the physical and spiritual needs of the people in our mission. Please support our mission work with a generous year-end gift today. Thank you for your prayers and kindness. Give today at Kombonimissionaries.org. That is Kombonimissionaries.org. Are you longing to hear God's voice? Lord, teach me to pray. The free Ignatian prayer series will open your heart to his voice, to the peace you're seeking, and the only love that fulfills the human heart, Jesus. God is calling you to true joy by knowing Jesus personally. Lord, teach me to pray is free. Just go to lordteachmetopray.com and click on the red box and order the Lord, teach me to pray series. Again, that's lordteachmetopray.com. Got a coffee lover on your Christmas list this year? Give them the gift of Mystic Monk Coffee. The Carmelite Monks of Wyoming have a number of seasonal blends that would make for a great Christmas morning brew. And when you purchase it, after clicking the Mystic Monk link at sunrisemorningshow.com, you support the monks and the show. If your coffee lover is also a fan of the Sunrise Morning Show, pick up a mug or travel mug for them in our online store. Get a mug and link to Mystic Monk Coffee at sonrisemorningshow.com. That's sunrisemorningshow.com. He is honored by the church as a saint with the title Second Apostle of Germany. Matthew Bunsen and the Doctors of the Church. The Dutch-born Jesuit, St. Peter Canisius, was one of the key figures in restoring the Catholic faith in Germany during the Protestant Reformation. He is renowned for his catechism and also for his founding more than 40 universities that proved bastions of Catholicism across Central Europe. He died in 1597 and was named a doctor in 1925. To find out more, visit EWTN.com and click on Catholicism. This is Dr. David Anders. Are your friends or family discouraging you from becoming Catholic? We can help on Called to Communion this afternoon at 2 p.m. Eastern. Now back to the Sunrise Morning Show. 12 till, here's Anna with headlines. The Senate has now closed up shop for 2023 without reaching a deal on funding for Ukraine. Pope Francis, at his general audience yesterday, reflected on the nativity scene and then connected it with the work of peace, asking the faithful to go to the crib to ask Jesus for peace around the world. And in his, his, the Holy Father also offered his prayers for those affected by a Chinese earthquake earlier this week. You can hear news at the top and bottom of each hour right here on the Sunrise Morning Show. It's 12 till. Sunrise Morning Show legal, political, and sometimes cultural analyst Ken Craycraft back with us now. He's a professor at Mount St. Mary's Seminary, writes for the Catholic Telegraph and our Sunday visitor, among other publications. Ken, good morning. Good morning, Annie. Good to be with you. It is good to have you. And we are going to get a Christmas reading recommendation from you this morning from one of the most uh, famous authors associated with Christmas, Charles Dickens. Uh, But it's not a Christmas carol as good a Christmas read as that is. You know, I have in my hands here, Ken, um, a book called The Christmas Books of Dickens. And there are quite a few uh, Christmas tales 
in here, including the one that you are recommending this morning, The Cricket on the Hearth. Give us the plot. Yeah, so The Cricket on the Hearth is one of, uh, he wrote several Christmas stories, and, and for a period in the mid-1840s, five years in a row, he released a story right before Christmas, and those are collected in the Christmas stories. The most famous one, of course, is A Christmas Carol. Uh, the Cricket on the Hearth actually is not set at Christmas. The setting is late January, not Christmas. There's no mention of Christmas. Christmas is not a theme in the, in the, uh, in the uh, short story. Nonetheless, it resonates with, with Christian sensibilities and the spirit of Christmas. If we think about sacrificial giving and surprises and, and, and all of those things. The plot is is um, is a little bit complicated, so it's going to be difficult to summarize. But uh, basically, it's uh, a a a story of surprises, a story of unexpected uh, and and uh, extremely um, uh, surprising plot twists that uh, that go from seeming despair and seeming uh, complete uh, sadness. Uh, to uh, inexpressible joy. And that's not giving the story away. It actually, it, it's a Christmas story after all. But it's interesting uh, because it has so many characters and even plot twists that are so similar to A Christmas Carol. For example, if you're familiar with The Christmas Carol, you know the Cratchits, mm -hmm. uh, Tiny Tim uh, being the, the main one. Well, there are there are characters in uh, The Cricket on the Hearth that correspond very close to, to the Cratchits, the, the Cratchits rather, uh, a, a toy maker and his blind daughter. And then, of course, um, the, uh, the Fezziwigs in The Christmas Carol are this extremely lighthearted, fun-loving uh, family who throw these lavish parties for Christmas and, and they would laugh and, and have so much fun. Well, they're very similar to the Peary Bingles in The uh, Cricket on the Hearth. The Peary Bingles uh, are... I love uh, his main... names. My goodness. <laughs> Isn't that a great name? Yes. The Peary Bingles, yes. And, uh, and, and they're, they're such a, a joyous couple. Uh, but they go through a trial in the story, a very serious trial. And they're a married couple, uh, John and, and Dot, as he calls his wife, although her name is actually Mary. And they go, through, they go through a crisis. And Dickens takes us through the crisis in their marriage and sees how that crisis gets resolved. But the, thing, the, what, the wonderful thing about it is that it does get resolved. And again, I'm not giving anything away by saying that but it gets resolved in a way that involves other people and get, brings joy and happiness and satisfaction to other people and then it has its scrooge a man named tackleton who owns said toy shop uh that uh that caleb uh works in the toy maker uh in where he lives with his blind daughter and his blind daughter works in the toy shop too so you have all of these very wow. uh, uh very similar aspects to the christmas uh, christmas carol the uh, but scrooge set in a very character the Scrooge character owns a toy shop. Wow. Yes, yes, but he yes, but he he does, but um, but he he makes his he designs his his toys so that they have mean faces and and scowls and things like that. And Dickens says that that one of the things that he loves to make are drums and cymbals and other instruments of torture. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> So many parents. It sounds like a Dr. Seuss exactly. thing, you know, like the Whoville uh, kids there yes. with the Grinch as well. <laughs> this is obviously not the the story from Dickens that we associate with Christmas. And I mean, A Christmas Carol is incredible. And so it is rightfully um, taken the place yes. of, of one of the ultimate Christmas stories. But this one 
I had never even heard of it. So, <laughs> so can you talk about what it teaches us about the meaning of Christmas and why you would recommend that people pick this one up this Christmas? Yes, yes. So the first thing is, is that you get a, the, a very rich incarnational sense of the human experience and the human predicament. Grace is communicated throughout the story by people and by the presence of people. And of course, when we celebrate Christmas, we celebrate grace given and presented and made present by the presence of a person who makes it possible for us people to experience and communicate grace as well. And that's exactly what happens in this story. Grace is communicated by various characters and various characters' lives are transformed by the gracious presence of gracious people. So there's a strong incarnational uh, nature to it. And we also get a, a very strong sense of the nature of of, uh, of uh, of uh, generous giving, of gratuitous, that's the word I was looking for, gratuitous giving, giving that expects nothing in return, which after all is the actual spirit of giving a gift. If we give a gift and expect something in return, it's really not a gift, it's a down payment. Yeah. But in uh, The Cricket on the Hearth, we have uh, a very strong sense of the of the true gratuitousness of giving. That is, people giving of themselves, giving themselves and of themselves without the expectation of anything in return. And that's a virtue that's very difficult to develop. And its twin virtue is difficult to develop too, Annie, and that is receiving without feeling a felt need to give something in return. Mm -hmm. And that's also a theme that, we, uh, that emerges in the cricket on the hearth. So we have the incarnational presence of grace, we have gratuitous giving, and we have the people People teaching one another and learning virtue from one another in ways that resonate with the, the, the story of Christmas. Grace coming through people at, and that grace being gratuitous gifts to people that make them better, that redeem them, uh, and that uh, lead them to lives of, of fullness of virtue. And we see conversions in this story. Uh, and, and, and again, it's giving nothing away. We see a, a radical conversion in A Christmas Carol, and we see a radical conversion in The Cricket on the Hearth. And wow. even though it's not set at Christmas, it's a perfect Christmas story for all of those reasons. And it's a story that I really encourage readers to take a half hour, 45 minutes, to take up and read because it's a heartwarming story. It's a story to read out loud around the fire at Christmas nice. time and I, no one will be disappointed. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for that reading recommendation, Ken. He wrote about it at our Sunday Visitor. Uh, you'll probably find it in your local diocesan newspaper, actually. So go check it out there. Do a search for The Cricket and the Hearth, Ken Craycraft, and you can find it. You can find all of Ken's articles linked at sunrisemorningshow.com. Well, that'll do it for this national edition of the Sunrise Morning Show on this feast of St. Peter Canisius. And one last time, happy 12th birthday to Master Zeke Swaim, my godson. And uh, we will look forward to talking to the rest of you here on EWTN tomorrow morning. Last Sunrise Morning Show live show of 2023. May God bless you and keep you and grant you his